Well, good morning. My name is Zach. I am the shepherd for young professionals here, and it is a great blessing to be with you this morning as we dive into this text. And what we read here is just a portion of the story. And if you've been with us in our series here in Genesis, you might have noticed that as we read this, the name Jacob popped up. And so you're probably sitting there thinking, okay, another story about Jacob, right? We've been following this character for quite some time now. It's interesting how much story and text is given to this character compared to some of the other patriarchs that we get. But what we're going to do is as we read the story, those pieces of it, particularly the passages that we just read that may feel familiar, maybe something that you have heard this story before and your brain might start already working out application and the meaning of the story. If that's you, what I would encourage you is to to just kind of let this story be told today without jumping to all the conclusions. You know, today we're going to we're going to nerd out a little bit. We're going to pull up a map. It's pretty exciting. We're going to talk a little bit about the Hebrew language, which excites me. Uh, I don't know about you. But I'm hoping that through this, that what might feel familiar will enlighten us with some renewed sense of what God is doing in this passage. And we might learn something from this. If we recall where we're at in the story of Jacob, we have watched this character whose very name reminds us of who he is. That he is a cheater. He is a deceiver. He grabs the heel, right? That's what his name means. And we've watched as he over and over, time and time again, has cheated and schemed and lied to gain and gain and gain, to obtain blessings and wealth from those he's encountered along the way. And recently, last week, we watched as he schemed up this whole plan with the animals and the spots and the stripes and all that craziness, to inherit wealth from Laban, which then led to them getting into a kerfuffle that was settled through a covenant. What we watch is this has been an overarching picture here in the text of first we have God who is willing to bless, right? He says to Abram, I'm going to bless you and your descendants, which would include Jacob, and through you I will bless the nations. You will be blessed and then you will bless others. But we have watched a man who believes that these blessings must be achieved through his own work, through his lies, through his cheating and his stealing, that he must work to gain these blessings. And we watch that some of this has led to consequences for Jacob, that he has been on the run in many instances, and he was on the run from Laban until they settled things. And we find our spot here with Jacob. He is now heading towards the land that was promised to his descendants, to his ancestors, the land of Canaan. And so he's getting close, and we're, we're, we're right there. He's on the cusp of entering this land, because this is where we find him at the beginning of Genesis 32. It says this, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So we call the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Instructing them, thus you will say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. So we're here, we're with Jacob, and something happens. He has this great, seemingly great moment of seeing the angels of God. This is something that's starting to happen with Jacob, encountering angels, encountering divine beings. And he 
gets to the spot that he names Mahanaim. And then suddenly we're seeing that, that Jacob realizes that he's going to encounter his brother Esau. Now there's something in this text that, that is a little odd in the way that we translate it. And I'm going to actually propose a different translation here and you'll, you'll understand why. Because if we're following Jacob where he is at and based on our, our guess where Mahanaim is, and it's a pretty good guess, um, he is really close to the land of Cain. In fact, we have a map here to, to show you. And so based on our guess where he is, he's, he's right there to your left and just a little south is the land that is promised to him. He just needs to head a little westward and he's right there. His brother Esau would actually be south of this location. So Mahanaim, he would be south in the land of Eden. And we're getting this interesting moment where he's right there, but now all of a sudden, sudden he's worried about encountering his brother Esau. What I think happens is what takes place here in that first sentence. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. There's all sorts of ways of, of trying to understand this, this meeting. What happens here? We're not really told. We don't, get, we don't hear anything about the angels blessing Jacob or encouraging him, giving him a message. There's nothing necessarily that says that these angels continue with him or that they're a sign that God is with him and that he's supposed to go the right way. In fact, what I, I want to propose is that, and you'll see why, is a change in the translation here of the word met. And I, I won't go too long on this and bore you. But the word there in Hebrew is the word pagah, which can mean meet. It can mean encounter. You, you arrive at something, you encounter someone, you meet them, right? Just kind of a very neutral word. But many, many times the word pagah can infer opposition. That it can mean that you are opposing someone. This happens throughout the Bible and it's translated, translated this way. And in fact, in the context here, and if you wanted to get nerdy with me, I'll sit down with a cup of coffee with you. and We can talk about Hebrew and, and explore it. I would love to, but I won't do that all here. But, but I think that they're actually from this context and from the, the way that this word many times gets translated as opposed is that we might reframe re, the sentence as Jacob went on his way and the angels of God opposed him. They're stopping him and blocking his way. Because again, if we look at the map, he is right there. In fact, if he were to continue west from Mahanaim, He's taken, the, that's the nice, easy route into the land. That's the PCH, you know, on a weekend, just cruising. You're right there. But instead, something is stopping him because now he feels like he is going to have to encounter his brother Esau, which would be south, which is a way you don't want to go. It would make no sense for him to be right there and suddenly start going south towards the land where Esau is. It would be like getting on the 405 at 5 p.m. on a Friday. You don't go that way. You don't want to go that way. But something has changed here. So I think what is happening is that God is blocking his path into the easy way into Canaan. And if we think of Jacob and his character, you know, he has been one who has been willing to take and deceive and grasp the heel. But he's also not been one to want confrontation he has tended to run from confrontation. And if we recall the last time Jacob and Esau were together, Esau was wanting to kill Jacob. 
And so it doesn't seem like Jacob is like, you know, let's take a nice little detour and see my brother, that guy who was ready to kill me last time I was with them. Let's go say hi. I think what is happening here is that God is forcing Jacob to confront the ugly things in his life. That God can often change our direction to confront the ugly things for the purpose of reconciliation. Blocking the easy path and forcing us to go and do the hard things to create reconciliation for Jacob and Esau. And if there's anything we know about Jacob, there's nothing really in his development and character that would quite tell us he is going out of his way to see his brother. I think this is the divine work of God putting him in the situation. And so what does Jacob do? Well, he, he sends his messengers. Now, just, I just love pointing out stuff like this because the Bible is so, it's just so beautiful. And the people who wrote it were brilliant. There's a really fun wordplay here. God sends his angels, which is the word malachim. It can also mean messengers. Jacob, Jacob sent his malachim. So God sends his malachim to Jacob and Jacob now has to send malachim out. Just fun wordplay. I love it. It's just great. This beautiful Bible is so beautiful. So he sends them to Esau. And now Jacob is realizing, okay, I'm going to encounter him. So I need to bring appeasement. I've got to figure out what am I going to do to make sure that this encounter doesn't create violence. Because he knows that's what Esau might be after per their last time together. Now, I want to, want to point us out here, this is something that I find fascinating that we might miss if we just read over this so quickly, is the way in which Jacob addresses Esau and what his messenger brings. He instructs the, the messenger, the Malachim, to tell Esau that, that, to tell, uh, Esau that this is to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. And what's interesting here is if we go back to Genesis 27, the story of Jacob uh, taking the blessing that was meant for Esau, you know, doing the whole sneaky thing with the hair and sneaking up and and, and taking that from Isaac, what, what really belonged to Esau, technically. And in that story, when Isaac blesses Jacob. And then Esau finds out and he says, look, I I have a limited amount of blessings, Esau. I can only, can only do so much. He says to Esau regarding Jacob's blessing, this is Genesis 27, 37. I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives, his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? And so from here, this blessing tells us that Jacob is Lord and that his relatives are servants. But Jacob now finds himself in a reversed position. Esau is the Lord, and Jacob is the servant. It makes us pause and ponder how useful is Isaac's blessing right now? How truthful is this? The moment of confrontation no longer is Jacob the Lord. Esau is the Lord and Jacob is the servant. How useful is the blessing of men? It's the question I want us to think through the rest of this passage. So the story continues. The messenger returns to Jacob and he, he didn't ever actually, it sounds like he didn't even talk to Esau because all he does is tell him what he saw. He tells Jacob, I saw Esau and he has a huge group with him. He has 400 men with him. 
Verse 7, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, the camp that is left will escape. So we witness as Jacob is now in a moment of deep anxiety and fear of what is to happen. He sees that all they know is that there is Esau with a large group, a potential army. And so Jacob goes back to his normal ways. He creates a plan. He comes up with a scheme. I'll have this one camp and they'll have another camp. One as a potential distraction, one to escape, right? And this is something that we're used to seeing Jacob do, coming up with his own plans, his own ways of escaping and getting out of situations. But there's something new here that appears in the process of Jacob, a development in his character. And this is something that's so important when we look at these Bible characters like Jacob. Yes, they are deeply flawed and often very problematic. But there are also glimmers of righteousness, glimmers of good deeds, glimmers of faith. And if that isn't a reflection of our life as followers of Jesus, I don't know what is. We also do the very same thing. Because what we see here is after Jacob has come up with his plan, he then actually turns to God in prayer. In verse 9, he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, which I think is him looking at God and being like, you told me to go to Canaan. It's right there. Why are you blocking me, right? I am not worthy, this is verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. That he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What I want to first note here with Jacob is that his prayer takes place after he comes up with action and plans. And I think of what if I'm being completely vulnerable in my own life, I do the exact same thing. That prayer is the last resort. I create my own plans. I have my own ideas. I use my own strength, my own abilities, my own gifts. And if that fails... Oh, I guess I'll turn to you, God. And that tends to be my prayer life. That prayer comes only out of desperation, only when it's the last resort. And here Jacob creates a nice little plan and then decides, I guess I need to pray. I guess I need to pray. And how often do I do that? How often do we do that? That prayer is only there in case of emergency. But what I want to do with Jacob's prayer is I also want to commend the contents of it. There's something beautiful here in his prayer. The thing that he does is he calls on God's promises and his character. This could look like Jacob being a little whiny, being like, well, you said you would do this. You said you would do, where are you? But I actually think this is a beautiful picture of what prayer is supposed to look like, that we call on God's character. We call on the things that we know about him, the things he has promised Not only to remind him and say, if that's who you are, God, please step in. But to also remind ourselves. 
remind ourselves of who God is, that prayer is that call. The beautiful book of Psalms is filled with great theology of who God is, not just there to teach us, but to use as that language. Our language of prayer is one of reminding ourselves and calling on God's promises and his character. And Jacob does that very thing here. You said you would do good. You said that you are steadfast. You said that you are faithful. God, please show that right here. So sandwiched with the prayer is the scheming. And below that is a little bit more scheming. I'm not going to read the the whole part of this because it goes on about camels and donkeys and as fun as that is it can take a while to read but essentially the next plan that he comes up with is he's going to then send Esau um, wave after wave of gifts hoping to appease him that okay I'll send him this wave of gifts and if that doesn't work I've got another round of gifts to give him and what we're watching here is Jacob is desperate he is anxious and so he's willing to give anything that he can to appease his brother he's willing to give up all these earthly blessings that have been given to him by people to appease his brother. It moves into verse, um, we'll look at verse 20. He says, um, for he thought, Jacob, I may appease him with the presence that go ahead of me. And afterward, I shall see his face and perhaps he will accept me. You can feel the tension in his heart, the anxiety. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Now, if we didn't look ahead and have the spoilers, uh, we might anticipate that the chapter would close like this. It tells us he stays the night, so the next morning we would anticipate his, his conversation, the confrontation with Esau. But instead what we get is a break in the story. We, we get told they stayed the night, but wait, something else happens. But wait, there's more. In verse 22, it says that same night, oh, so I guess he didn't stay the night, right? That same night, he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. I want to stop here. I think what's happening with Jacob, and and there's all sorts of questions of, of what's going on. We were told he stayed the night. Suddenly, now he's waking up. And he's, he's moving. He's like, the plan is now changing for him. I think what is happening here with Jacob is that he then takes those who are close to him, his wives, his servants, his children. And we're not told which direction of the jawbuck he crosses. It's, it's a little confusing. But I think what we're watching here is Jacob again trying to avoid the confrontation. That he's sent the presents along the way. Maybe they'll appease Esau. And now it looks like he's woken up in the middle of the night. And has decided, I I just got to get out of here. I am not ready for this. So he grabs his family. He sends them on the other side, potentially now moving in the direction he was already told not to go, trying to get away from competition. Again, we don't really know, but I think that's what's happening here. And so after he sends them on that side, he's left there alone. And then we get this. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now, many of us know this story. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. We know this story. He wrestles a guy. But if we're reading this for the first time and with fresh eyes, it's, it's sudden, right? Out of nowhere. He was alone. And then a man wrestled him. It came out of nowhere. 
It says he wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint. It's dislocated as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. What is interesting here in this moment uh, is the identity of this character. Now, if we're looking ahead, we, you know, and you might know the story, your brain's already filling out who this character is. But it's interesting here in the text that we're just told over and over again that it's just a man. It's just a guy who's come here and he's wrestling Jacob. And somehow he has some divine power because he literally just touches his hip. And that's what that word means. It's really just implying just kind of a, a little touch and boom, his hip is out of joint. It's dislocated. And our question starts to go, who is this man? And you can, you can think of, of Jacob in this situation. He's trying to escape and this guy comes out of nowhere and he's wrestling him and he takes out his hip. Who is this person? Uh, some of you know this about me. I, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Arizona and I grew up in a, a small town, very small town. And growing up, particularly in high school, there was, there was two options uh, that you could go. You could find entertainment. Again, small town, very boring. You could find entertainment through drugs, alcohol, party. Or you could make your own fun. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I had friends who took that route. Let's find our own fun. And uh, just find ways to, to make the most of this small town. And so we had, you know, our shenanigans. And there was, there was one night where, and I don't remember what we were doing, but we were out at my friend's house who lived in the middle of nowhere. So not only do I have a small town, but then there was this area that was like middle of nowhere, nice houses that were just separated by huge chunks of land that people owned. And we were at my friend's house and we we're walking down the main road of that area at night. It's about nine or 10 at night. And we're, you know, a bunch of teenage boys and we're walking and suddenly this truck comes from behind us and it gets, and it starts slowing down and it gets just a little bit ahead of us and stops. And then we stop. We're like, this is a little weird. What is this truck doing? And suddenly the doors open and we hear, get them. And we see a flashlight. Suddenly people have hopped out of this truck and here we are, a bunch of teenagers, completely shocked for a second. And then our brains kick in and say, run, get out of there. Who are these people? And so we do exactly that. Me and my friends, we start running in different directions in the desert. One friend goes one way, a friend goes another way. I go and I run and hide behind a little bush. Now, Arizona, you know, not a lot of vegetation, so it's not the best cover, but it's something. It's something. It wasn't a cactus, okay? That would have, that would have not gone great. But I'm hiding behind this bush, and I'm feeling this insane amount of anxiety. And fear. Are these people going to hurt us? Are they going to kill us? What is going on? We're in the middle of nowhere. Who is this person that is chasing after us? And eventually, I, I, I kind of notice that maybe they've gone a different way, and I get up, and I run as fast as I ever have back to my friend's house. And I come in, and I'm telling his parents everything that's going on. And we're calling each other, and, and our friends gather together. And we're, we're, who is this person that is chasing us? And you think of Jacob here in this story, he's, he's already stressed and anxious. And now a man comes out of nowhere and starts wrestling him. And you could only imagine wanting to know, who are you? Who is this person? 
when we get to the end of the story, and, and I'm going to look back here at the, the name change here in a moment, but, but we can skip over that for just a second. Jacob asked this person, tell me your name. But the, but the man said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So something has happened. Jacob now realizes the identity of the person who is wrestling him. This is God. It's not just a man. It's not just someone random. It's God. Me and my friend, you probably, what the heck happened in the story? My friends and I, after we gather together, we're stressed. We have no idea what's going on. We're still missing one of our friends. And we come to realize through making phone calls and getting together and communicating, the person chasing us was our friend's brother and his friends who had just been teepeed by some other group of teenagers that was not us. And we looked like just another group of, you know, punk kids who would have done the same thing. And so that's why they chased after us. But that moment of relief of, oh, this is who. Oh, it's just a friend. It's just our, just our friend's brother. Okay, everything, all that anxiety and all that worry and all the, you know, the scenarios that were in our mind, gone. The revealed identity of who was after us. Oh, we know what's here. And here is Jacob. It is God who I have seen face to face. It is God who is this character that is wrestling with Jacob. Now, if I'm honest with you, if this was the only part of this story and reflection on it that we had, I would probably doubt Jacob. <laughs> He's kind of a liar, right? So there'd be a part of me that'd be like, I don't know, did you really see God face to face? But we get confirmation in Hosea chapter 12. It's this oracle against Judah. And in it, there's this little note here. It says, um, talking about Jacob, it says, Jacob in the womb, he took his brother by the heel, right? That's the whole naming of Jacob. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So Hosea confirms for us that, yes, this is God. What's interesting too, and I won't spend too much time on this, but he also, uh, in the parallelism of this, Hosea tells us that Jacob also wrestled with an angel. So the question might be, is this an angel or is this God? And my answer to you is yes. (laughs) There are many times when angelic beings appear, they seem separate, distinct from God, but then we are told it is, it is the voice of God. It is them hearing from God. And we see this all throughout the Bible of, of characters running into angels of God that seem to be distinct, but also it is the complete mouthpiece and person of God. And if you have questions on that, let's grab coffee. <laughs> okay? But all we know here is that, that Jacob realizes this person that he has seen is God. And that is who he was wrestling with. And the piece here that we get that I find so interesting is that Jacob, after getting his hip knocked out, the person asks him his name, and Jacob says, my name is Jacob. He asks the person, the man for the name. Man does not say. And then we're told that this person blesses him after Jacob asks for a blessing. This is so normal for Jacob's character, right? Asking every single person that he sees, will you bless me? Will you bless me? Will you bless me? And here he is again with a man who just took out his hip, asking him for a blessing. 
This is his character. And it is later revealed that this person who he's asking a blessing from is God. And there is something so beautiful about this. That the story that is, that is laid over this is that God is the one who wants to bless. He's the one who wants to bless Jacob. So that Jacob would be a blessing to others. But the story of Jacob is that he has gone out and sought blessing from person after person after person. And it is finally here in the story that he unknowingly asked God for a blessing. And all it took was a wrestling match with God for him to finally realize that. Finally come to the terms that it is God who gives the blessing. That God is the one that we seek after for the blessing. You and I, we have an absolute insistence on doing things on our own. To seek life, to seek purpose, to seek joy, to seek fulfillment from everything else but God. And the beauty of this story is that God is the one who is right there with these blessings. He's the one who's right there willing to give it. And yet you and I often grab heels and lie and deceit to gain things that God is so willing to give. All that Jacob needed to do was ask God for the blessing. Something beautiful about our life as following Jesus is that we have a treasure trove of blessings. Not in a prosperity gospel sense, not in cars or planes or whatever wealth or, or all these things that we think we want. But we have an incredible blessing through what Christ has done for us. He has bestowed upon us the Holy Spirit, a guide, the one who brings us into truth. He has bestowed upon us new life, new creation. And so often we, so often I, seek blessings from every single person and the fleeting hands of humans when God is right there with the eternal, everlasting blessings that cannot be so easily given up. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to those blessings. Holy Spirit, new creation, new life. And sometimes it takes God to join us in a wrestling match for us to notice that. But it doesn't always have to. It doesn't always have to. We can simply turn and there God is with the very things that he has done through Jesus that we have access to. And the other interesting, significant piece here in the story that comes from the blessing is the name change. We get told that, um, that Jacob's name gets changed here. You know, the, 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 the man, we then learn is God, asks Jacob his name. What is your name? Jacob, my name's Jacob. And what's interesting to think about, but about Jacob is that every single time he has to say his name. He is telling people who he is. I am a heel grabber. <laughs> I am deceitful. That's my name. That's who I am. And here he is in this moment, beaten, limping, hip out of place. Tell me your name. <sighs> my name's Jacob. <laughs> I'm a heel grabber. Then the person, God, the man, said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, 
but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Now that word Israel is a combination of a couple words that, that means that. That you have you've striven with God, Israel. And what's interesting here in this story, again, getting to the language piece, is that we have a lot of, we have a lot of accounts of, of God changing people's name, right? We've looked at him changing Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. We, we get this throughout the story. And in fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll get to another story where Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. And in that one, it says, you will be called Israel. What's interesting here in this story, our text translate it as, you will be called Israel, or you, know, you will no longer be called Jacob. But the word there is Amar, which means it will be said no longer that you are Jacob. And I think there's an interesting small distinction there, meaning that it isn't necessarily just that he's changing his name, but he's changing what people will say about him. What his reputation will now be. But it's not just a name change. That will actually come later. Later in Genesis, he will be called Israel. But right now, it is, it is, what he's showing is that it will no longer be said that you are Jacob. It will no longer be said that you are a heel grabber. But it will be said that you are Israel, that you have striven with God and with man. Something changes here. This is Jonathan Grossman who wrote a beautiful piece on this idea here of the name. He says, this has profound significance in relation to Jacob's name change to Israel. By by employing the verb amar, which is to say, the man hints that Israel is not merely a new name, but that it has the power to eclipse Jacob's old name and all its negative associations. People will no longer speak of him as the old deceitful Jacob, but as Israel. That God is changing his reputation. But something is changing, he will will no longer be the heel grabber. He will no longer be gaining blessings by grabbing the heel, by sneaking, by being deceitful. But he gains his blessing by wrestling with God, by coming in contact with God face to face. There's a beautiful contrast there between the way in which he's grabbed things from the heel and to now he has seen the blessings and how he receives it face to face with God. And I think what we see here is a reminder of of what God does for us. That he changes our reputation. He changes what is said about you and about I. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you might know that that there are things that, that people say about you. You might have a worry about your reputation, about what people think of you what life might have been like before Jesus or life right now with Jesus. That there may be sin and ugliness that that you carry with you. And the beauty of the gospel is that God steps in and changes that and changes our reputation. As Paul says, you are, your old self is dead. It has died. And now you are new creation God is transforming us into new reputation. That no longer will we be known as deceitful, as liars, as sinners, but that through the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we'll be known as peacekeepers, as peacemakers, as enemy lovers, as Christ followers, as people like Jesus.
The beauty of the gospel is that God can change your reputation, can change who you are for the better. And that sometimes we need that constant reminder. We need to shed the old names that we might call ourselves, that we might think of ourselves, that Satan comes and whispers in our ear to say who we are and reminded of what God says of us, that we're his children or his beloved. You're his child. You are beloved. And that God steps in and changes these things. I'm going to pray for us. And in my prayer, I'm going to pause for a moment to let you just reflect on the truths you need to hear. Reflect on the names and the callings of which God has said you are. And to just rest in that. And delight in those truths. And really hear them. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for these stories. We thank you for these characters and how well we can relate to them even when we're disgusted by them. But God, we, we do the same thing so often. And yet you love us. You seek us out. And God, sometimes it takes a wrestling to learn these things. But Father, I pray that for many of us, we can, we can just come face to face with you in prayer. And Father, so we, we go before you and we ask to reveal the truths of who we are in you. To reveal the truth of the things that you have changed to the work of your son, Jesus. Remind us of these things. And Father, we thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Sometimes it's things we don't think. Sometimes it's things we don't think we need. But God, you are right there. I pray for that for each person in this room, we would experience that and we would live in that reality of your blessing, not just for ourselves, but to go and bless others to invite others into this life of blessing, into this life of new creation and what you have changed. Because of all this, God, we worship you, we praise you, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.